for listening to the Folk Podcast. If you would like to become more involved with the Wisdom of Odin community, please think about donating to Patreon. At the lowest tier, you gain access to our community Discord. Uh, the next tier, you gain access to live streams. And of course, at the final tier, you gain early access videos, as well as your name in the end credits for all Wisdom of Odin videos. Thank you so much for watching, and thank you so much for whatever support you're able to provide. Hello, my name is Jacob, and welcome to episode 38 of the Folk Podcast. Today we're talking about lesser-known deities. I don't know why I'm talking in this strange voice. Perhaps it's because it's 11 at night and this is the latest we've ever recorded a podcast. But regardless, we wanted to make sure you got content. So we're here for episode 38. We got Ian and we got Sherd. Baker fell behind, so he got left behind. So... Gentlemen, let's talk about lesser known deities. We got an interesting list here. Basically, the reason we wanted to talk about this is because Norse paganism is a polytheistic religion. There are multiple gods you can follow, but it seems like there is a core group or the only ones that actually get talked about and venerated. Now, there is a reason for that because we don't know much about the rest of them. So we wanted to give this list to you, kind of go through some of the lesser known deities we know about and what we actually know about them. Um, we're not gonna necessarily pull exact source material from the pros of product edit, but at least like what the community said, because there's just so little that a lot of this comes from what people in the pagan community have said about them. Um, so we're gonna go through the list, um, but Ian, give us one of those lesser known deities. What do you want to talk about today for probably 10 seconds? Right, so honestly, like the first one that popped into my head, I mean, there is stories, they're not, they're lesser known, but they have some limelight. I feel like starting with some of the ones that have a little bit more information are probably going to be easier to start. And the first one that popped in my head is Sif. So what we know about Sif is she is Thor's wife, right? Um, as far as that goes, you mean you have the story of how she gets her golden hair when Loki decides to pull a prank and basically shave her head when she is asleep. And then the dwarves then fashion her golden threaded hair. Um, other than that, I mean, as far as, to the best of my knowledge, I know she is a goddess of agriculture and rain to a certain degree, like the, the nice gentle uh, rains that help crops grow. And I mean, as far as I'm aware, that's, that's my knowledge of her, you know, and that's, I feel like kind of where we are at with her to a certain degree. Well, you know, um, Again, this is again when we dive into these lesser known deities it's just all like what do people say and i i really look at like uh i'm, I'm lady galadriel from lord of the rings mm. like her you know she gives her gift of her hair to gimli and that's a big deal um and why is that a big deal like for your lord of the rings nerds out there like do you guys do you guys know like that's a big deal right I know, I know some of it, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, basically, like, in the Similarian, it talks about, like, how that's, okay. like, a, a big deal that she gives her hair, um, because it's, like, oh, because Sauron wanted one yeah. of her hairs because he was in love with her, and she refused to give it to him, and she gave Gimli three I thought he demanded, hairs. yeah, I he demanded three. Maybe, I'm not sure. I, I, I'm maybe, I'm butchering this, but again. That's, that's, that's why, like, she gave Gimli three locks of hair. Because he, he said that her beauty was enough for his gift. Right. Yeah, so, you know. That was the, like the symbolism. 
that felt like a very Sith like moment. Um, you know, because like you got um obviously J.R.R. Tolkien read the prose and poetic Eddas. Um, he was very inspired by them. He wrote stories about some of the you know, like the uh, northern tales. And so obviously a lot of his characters in Lord of the Rings were heavily based on uh Nordic figures and Anglo-Saxon well, I mean, heroes. Especially the dwarves. They literally had the same name. Right. Yeah, the dwarves, and then like Gandalf is basically just Odin. Um, maybe like a slightly nicer version of Odin. But um with both eyes. With both eyes, right. Um, but then like maybe Galadriel is based on Sif. Again, I don't know. And then even if we said that, it's not like that makes more sense for Sif, but I think it's no. an interesting way to think about her. You know, if you're looking to connect with her, maybe think about her a little bit in that Lady Galadriel way. Right. And uh we do know Sif's the mother of Uller. Uh we don't know who Uller's father is. But we also know she's the mother of Magni and Modi, which is Thor's two sons. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, uh, and again, that's, well, what Ian said about the rain, that's kind of interesting, because I wonder if that comes from the fact that she's married to the Thunder God. I think it might have something to do with it to a certain degree, because, um, I mean, Thor is also kind of covers, like, you know, your blue-collar worker, like, workforce of, of you know, the, the farmers, like, those homesteaders kind of thing to a degree so i mean it would kind of make sense to pair him up with a wife that would kind of cover a very similar thing but a different aspect of it and obviously well, yeah maybe. Like, maybe with the thunder and the rain thing uh, it could be that that elemental combination to a degree as well right that kind of made me think of like sif kind of maybe being like the homemaker because you know thor is the god of the hearth as well and you need someone to help with your home that's kind of like Sif, because Sif's at Thor's hall, as far as we know, for the most part, attending with her family and friends, and I guess doing the day-to-day -day businesses that need to be done in the house. Well, you know, and I think one of the only occurrences we have of Sif really being mentioned outside of being the wife of Thor is within Locusena, because she is directed as a character of Loki's insults, I believe. Um, yeah, Ian's grabbing a, the poetic edit here. Um, but I don't think we're given a lot of information there, but I think it is like she is kind of seen as like the, the homebody a little bit, you know, as the mother, as the, the homemaker, um, you know, because I don't think we have any like really any hints of her being a warrior or anything like that. Um, so one of the things that we were getting a lot of these inf this information from comes from the God's Own County, a book of heathen prayers. Um, and here's actually, uh, Sif has given two prayers, uh, one referring to Locusena. And again, the thing I like about this book is it usually brings the information from something that we know, um, and it builds a poem off of it. So it's obviously characters that we know a lot about, we have more poems about, but like Sif has two. So it typically means we know two things about her. Um, so this poem is called The Goddess of the Harvest Hair. Hail to Sif, wife of Thor, goddess with golden hair. Harvest hair so beloved by Thor and stolen by Lucky, Loki. Because of your husband's love and anger, Loki got the magical golden hair and Thor his hammer Mjolnir. Sif, we thank you for being such a dutiful, loving, and supporting wife. We thank you for the family atmosphere you give the protector of Midgard, to the protector of Asgard and Midgard. We are grateful for the patience you show when your husband disappears on his travels and soothing environment when he returns. Sif, goddess of the harvest, mother of Uller, wife of Thor, a goddess of the earth, un, uh, united in marriage to the god of the sky. We thank you for all you have done, uh, beautiful and strong, caring and giving. So we leave you an offering as thanks. So right, actually, I, I was just going to say, um, as a military aspect, she would be an interesting goddess to go to for uh, military spouses that get, you know, are left behind as their, their spouses deploy. That would be another, right. an interesting deity to speak to. Well, and a, a funny thing, so I, I did come across uh, the part of, in Locusana where Sif is mentioned. Um, so in this part, it's 
parts, all Sansa's parts, 53 and 54 is where she comes into it. Um, she basically, she offers Loki a drink and then Loki immediately goes to talking about how, um, how unfaithful she actually was to Thor because she is the, because Loki was the one that he or that she ended up sleeping with at one point. So it says mm, you are uh, this is this is from Loki's point. So he drains Loki drained the drink and said, "You would be unique, Sif, if you actually were weary and unwelcoming to other men. But I alone know how you were unfaithful to your husband Thor, and I was the one that you slept with, and that's it." Hmm, interesting. Yeah. I do want to, want to, of course, bring up as I said in videos before. I don't put much weight behind who the gods banged because, like, right. I definitely feel like those are things that were human elements that were added into it. So I, when I think we, when uh, personally, when I look at the gods, I look at it from the natural aspects. You know, why is Sif tied to Thor? You know, why is it the harvest rain? You know, the light drizzle that makes sense because right after thunderstorms, you usually get that really light, beautiful rain, mm -hmm. the golden skies, and so to me, that's where Sif comes in. She's the the beauty after a storm, mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's a really important natural aspect to connect to it. And then the you know the personal aspect, the human aspect, I think would be really good for the you know the the person waiting behind as a, a family member deploys off to war. I think would be a really good way to connect to Sif. But we're here to talk about multiple deities, so we need to talk right. about more. Right. <laughs> so we're sitting here to like well, hyper analyzing nice. Sif. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, we mentioned Uller, we mentioned Magni and Bodhi. Those are all tied to both Thor and Sif as their sons. If y'all want to delve into them, I mean, we know Uller's like kind of I mean, the god of the hunt. To you, the Thor bro, do you know anything besides uh, to Magni and Modi besides that they're the sons of Thor and they were uh, in like, God of War? I yeah, like that's pretty much it. I know we like we know Uller is kind of like Thor's stepson. Yeah. Uh, we know more about Uller actually than we do Magni and Modi. Like all we know is like they're his sons, and they're gonna take over Thor's position after Ragnarok, and because it takes both Magni and Modi to lift up Molnir, they can't lift up Molnir independently. They gotta work together. So like. That's about all I know personally off of Magnum, but I haven't did a deep dive into like their who they are, like what they might stand for. I guess I could do more. I mean, maybe, time. you know, I think it would be important for a father and son connection. You know, like if you were looking for your son to get into paganism for the first time, you know, giving them to Magni and Modi and understanding maybe brotherhood. You know, if you have two brothers that are fighting, you know, and things like that, you know, having them connect with Magni and Modi um or you know honestly those would be great names for sons if you decide to have if you have two boys you know right. uh, uh but that next generation thing i think would be what i would focus on because obviously well with the death of thor they're taking up their father's torch literally yeah yeah they literally take over his mantle and, and after ragnarok it, it talks about them both grabbing molnir and lifting molnir up and like carrying on thor's mantle um and then all this like that are like the Thor's little bunch is Uller. And all we know is like he's kind of like the god of the hunt and skis, I think. Or yeah, he's tied to skis as well. Yeah. And, and also, uh, like I, I know talking with a person in the Discord who has him as a patron, which Ian, you know her as well. Uh, I think in a way he's tied to oaths. Yeah. So Uller also, he oversees. Um, oaths that are made he he oversees and keeps track of the oaths that are made and who makes them he's kind of like a, i would i, I want to say like a bookkeeper of oaths like he keeps track of like okay you did this you did this you did this 
kind of a thing. Right. So, so like, is, oh, I was just going to say this is a good segue for the inconsistencies, especially when it comes to lesser known deities, because I've heard this before as well. Um, yeah. That Uller is the keeper of the oaths, but I have literally never seen that in any form of historical context. Yeah. I've never seen it written yeah. in a book or a prose. Edda. I've never seen it in hit, like any piece of artifact. So this is definitely something that seems to have been added later into Uller's, you know, mythos. Because um, yeah. like, there's a book. Um, it's the HR, uh, the uh, the Gerber Norse mythology book that was written in like the 1900s, like the early 1900s. Um, she was talking about how, how Uller would take over for Odin while he was off on the wild hunt. And like would yeah. sit on the throne and no one liked him because he was kind of a dickhead ruler. And so they were always excited for when Odin returned so that he took over. So like, but again, I don't, it was like, I'm reading this in a book and then, yeah, it's a, it's a Norse mythology book, but I'm like, where did you get this from? And there's no source tied to it. So it's hard to say. Um, yeah. It's an mean, interesting it, idea. It's very interesting. Cause I've heard that too. I've never read it in a book, but I've always heard, you know, Uller takes over for Odin during the wall. Huh? I didn't know that came from that book but like i've heard that before from other people i've never been able to find it anywhere but i think um i think this is something maybe crawford brought up but like gods like uller were probably more prominent before the oral history was actually written down because there's a lot of towns and locations i believe named after uller even though we actually do not know that much about them right and then that's you know that's going to be the problem with with any kind of paganism that doesn't have hardcore things written down is, yeah, we, we can know the names of the gods, but without their tales, without their stories, it's a crap shot pretty much on what they did and what they do. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's like the UPG versus VPG thing, you know, it's like most of what we're going to know from Uller is going to come from people that venerate Uller for a very long time. Um, same thing with the runes. The runes have gotten most of their definitions from people following and studying the runes for their entire lives. And so if someone's like, hey, I lived my entire life honoring Uller. I have hunted and given to him and all these things. And here's the book of knowledge I have learned from venerating Uller. Okay, great. We can read that book. It's his account, whoever read that. And then someone else does that. And we get another account of Uller worship. And we start building that knowledge and that right. group knowledge of people venerating him over a lifetime. And that's the only way we're going to get any of this knowledge back is by seeing what their effects have due to the modern practitioner. Yeah, it's actually funny. So like I'm going through uh, the God's Own Country uh, book here. And I was looking county. at county. Thank you, country, county. English Same heart. thing. County's yeah. only a wee bit smaller than a country. Right. A wee bit. Um, but yeah, so I was, I was, yeah, Minnesota school district doing you proud. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I was looking at Uller's stuff, right? And there's literally only one on prayer to him, basically. And then I go to the next page, and the goddess Bar is right there after him. And she is considered the goddess who witnesses oaths and keeps track of it. Oh, like exactly so it says here's i'll just read it out because it's a very small like paragraph and a half uh honest goddess witness the oaths we swear here today truthful goddess bless all those who all those who keep their word honorable goddess bring vengeance upon the untrustworthy var you listen carefully to all oaths spoken remembering the details ensuring that they are upheld friend to those who stand firmly by their pledge Punisher of the liar and the double crosser, you guide us in upholding our honorable reputations. Hail Var. So, like literally, the, the next god or you know deity after Uller, as we were just talking about, he is like that witness that that witness to oaths and that tracker of oaths. Literally says otherwise in this, you know. I mean, so yeah, the inconsistency. I've never heard of Var. 
I've exactly. studied Norse paganism ever, for years now, ever. and I've never yeah. heard of Bar. Yeah. So it's it's interesting, kind of like yeah, where you where you obviously find your information from is going to vary from book to book and person to person. So. So I think one of the uh, we were kind of discussing before we started recording. So when it comes to the lesser known deities, like one of the better ones is probably Braggy because we know he's tied to poetry and poetry is such a broad thing. So it's like, oh, great. There's so much I can do with poetry. I can write in poetry. I can ask him advice on poetry. I can like burn offerings of poetry to him. Um, and we also know that, you know, from Locusena's brief lines about Braggy that he enjoys, you know, basically the, the, the calmer life of Asgard, feasting, drinking, and things like that. So he often gets that, um, you know, that, that, that brewer look as well. So there's a lot of things that get tied to Braggy with that. Um, so even just small details can give us so much more when it comes to deities like Braggy, whereas like something like Var, it's like, I don't really, I can't really do much with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's almost like going through, I'm looking at a list here, uh, with like Pod or Hood or however you want to pronounce him, the Balder's brother. There's, I mean, all thing we really know about him is he's the one Loki used to kill Balder. Oh, I mean, I've seen him referenced as the God of Night. And it's like, I mean, is it because he's blind? <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, well, I think. I mean, from the one account, it says that he's the uh, son of Knight and uh, her husband. Well, and so, the, I mean, even one thing that we were discussing about him at the, the fellowship gathering that we had the other couple of weeks ago, where him and uh, Balder were war chieftains that often fought each other. And that's ultimately how Balder died. And I believe that was... Oh, what was that reference or referred to in? Was it was it Grammaticus? Uh, I don't Massivus? remember. Maybe yeah, yeah. I think that might have been it. I have to look. I have to ask who the, the I have to ask the individual who actually brought that up real quick. But um, yeah, like that again. Like there's some differences depending on regions as well. Right. I mean, in that, you know, looking at a historical context, there might have been regions of you know scandinavia that never even knew who you know hot or hoder were at all <laughs> yeah, exactly. um yeah. and then how many deities do we not know about because there's the information was just never recorded right right i mean that's once again going back to just having oral skulls and stuff like that tell the tales and going from town to town and you know maybe some of these gods are similar because they went to a town and they said, well, you know, some of these people might be neighboring from that other village and really like me and followed me here. So now I got to come up with a new kind of tale and spin it a different way. Well, here's an interesting one that, you know, I was kind of beating my head against the wall when I was doing my Norse Gods of Spring video is uh, Mani and Soul. Um, so you would think that because most pagan religions in the world have a deity tied to the moon pretty specifically and a deity tied to the sun specifically. And those are usually very prominent deities because they are very, very prominent things in all of our lives. Uh, no matter, you know, ever since there's been humans, there has been a sun and a moon. Um, but in the Norse pantheon and Norse mythos, we barely know anything about sun and moon deities. In fact, from the research I've done, there's, you could even argue that Mani and Sol aren't actually moon, a uh, moon and a sun deity, you know, because those weren't really even attested until Snorri gave them names. And so in the pro, in the poetic Edda, they're really just listed as the sun and the moon. Yeah. And that's a good point because yeah, you look at various forms of other like paganism. I mean, look at the the Greeks and the Egyptians, you know, like, and, uh, 
Apollo. I mean, sun, sun veneration is always the, is the most prominent form of yeah. paganism, basically. Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, you have, uh, well, the Greeks had Helios before, and then the uh, when the Romans took over, they just merged Helios in with Apollo, and that's how with, they did it. Yeah, with the Egyptians, you have Ra, who is yeah essentially the most important you know in a lot of their southern decks and probably anubis i would say but and then you have the brief period where they converted to a monotheistic religion and they worship the sun disc god um and akhenaten i think is his name (laughs) literally for like 20 years were a monotheistic religion that worshiped the sun until everyone's like you know what this is dumb they assassinated that dude (laughs) yeah exactly so like yeah so you have that's an interesting point like i never really thought about that like you you have a the wide range of pagan forms of paganism that focus on a sun deity specifically and that is like their go-to you know alpha god whatever you want to consider it like their top you know top dog in the group i mean because we can't see that well at night other than what fire you can bring with you i mean now we, we have like night vision scopes and all that lights led lights stuff like that where it helps us see at night but back in the day now they can see that well they were torch to the face well, that, like, that's yeah I, I think you have to look at it like the reason most of these deities exist in the first place in a pagan environment is because they have some form of prominence um in the mm-hmm. norse context like i mean i'm not saying the sun wasn't important but maybe it was less seen as less important because a lot of times of the like a huge chunk of the year they don't even have sun <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i can see that I mean, yeah, coming from a place that you had maybe four months of legit summer, like, yeah, that's a big deal. Like, once, you know, October comes around, the the, the yeah. sun becomes a very less relevant thing because now it's, you know... Like, agriculture was important, but, it, I mean, it was never it was never so effective in the Norse context. They would have seen their boats as more important. They would have yeah. seen, you know... Um, Fishing you know, and hunt, hunting. Yeah, hunting more important. Which, again, is, is just so crazy to me that we have so little on the fishing and hunting gods. Um, you know, like, you have, like, Uller and Skadi are really the only hunting deities you have. Right, and then you have Nord, I guess, for fishing, because like that's really the only god we know that does coastal. We were going to talk about Aegir and Ron. I forget who I was talking about this with, but like the the relationship of the ocean to me and the Norse is very fascinating, because obviously they have been tied to the ocean ever since they really were a culture. Because even before the Viking Age, they were known for their shipbuilding. We have depictions of ships as the earliest rock carvings in Scandinavia are boats, and so like boats have always been a important part of their their entire society. And so it's very fascinating to me that their relationship with the ocean is quite different than most other pagan religions because you have the guardian of the coast, which he's basically like the, hey, you about to go fishing? Cool, like take my offering. I'll try to keep you safe because the actual gods of the ocean are freaking Jotuns and they're here to kill you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were, yeah, yeah we were, you, myself, and Blade were talking about. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just, I think it's, you know, like you said, because it's interesting because you know, they, they were out there in this little dinghy, pretty much. I mean, any ship we had that we would consider an ocean vessel, it's way bigger than what any of the Vikings would have sailed on. And they're in this little dinghy, and then like out the ocean, like you've mentioned before, at that point in time, wasn't overfished. So there's no telling what all kind of sea creatures, stuff like that, floated up to the surface, and, you know, a storm. 
on the uh, ocean, just swept them away. You know, so it's a very fearful place. It's like, so you want in your mind, you know, these, these sailors coming back, they're like, man, do not go out there. Right. Well, okay. So here's here's a great factoid for you. So you get you're on a boat in the Mediterranean, right? For the most part, Mediterranean is usually quite warm, even during the colder months. You know, usually 60, 70 degrees. It's not too bad. Um, so you know, if your ship wrecks, it's like, well, at least the water is beautiful. At least I got these beautiful, you know, islands near me. You know, they have a lot of very beautiful things tied to the ocean. The warmest water gets in the North Sea is let me do my conversions here uh 40 to like 40 or 50 degrees fahrenheit yeah (laughs) it's near freezing all the time and so you have salty dark cold water so uh, naturally your gods of the sea are not going to be pleasant (laughs) yeah and not to mention like that's such a more open water area anyways where it's going to be a lot more uh rough as well i mean the mediterranean is is relatively it's not landlocked but i mean there is enough land around it to kind of keep things from you know contained and the, the waters being a lot calmer compared to once you get up there where it's literally the north sea and then you have like the atlantic which yeah. is just a, a, right. a beast in of itself well, yeah like, if you don't aim your boat right you're going off to sea forever exactly right. yeah right you know that's that's one thing i think like the sailors when they come back like the first the just think about the first vikings no we're not even vikings just the first scandinavians that set sail and came back we're like dude yeah <laughs> totally going there, back bro. out there you better give me your bro it's bad out there <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah well and you also figure like you know their fishing and stuff like that wasn't you know they were whaling at a very early start mm-hmm. like so right. they are tackling creatures the size of their boats with spears <laughs> like yeah. that's hardcore that big fish i'm gonna eat it <laughs> yeah uh well we're definitely getting on a tangent off of them lesser known deities but again i think it's very interesting that we know so little about the you know ocean deities and an ocean culture you know well, um Ager even and Ron, like their nine don't yeah. they have like nine daughters yeah, the nine daughters of Aegir and Ron are like the nine waves or something like yeah, that. Yeah, the nine different yeah. types of storms, I think. Yeah. Uh, well, and then you have, you know, like Jormungandr. Yeah. Um, like, uh, you know, as, uh, literally a giant monster in the sea. Um, and uh, I think I'm, I can't, I think, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast. We've done 38 episodes now, but I'm going to say it again. But again, imagine how terrifying the ocean would have been back in you know viking days because we haven't overfished yet because for the most part most things in the ocean just kind of keep growing until they get eaten or die and so like imagine the size and the quantity of sea life in the ocean at that time especially the colder waters typically things are bigger yeah they have to be hardier (laughs) to survive so yeah. yeah like the chances of something like actually sinking your ship that is a creature is probably pretty high especially if you're poking at it with spears right <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. well i mean for uh, all we know the story of thor putting the uh the ox head into the ocean is a folktale maybe someone actually did that to fish something maybe yeah yeah i mean there's no telling like we don't have it in written down on stone but, but it's a good story right i like it uh let's see uh, who, who else do we have i had a heimdall on this list just because like he isn't lesser known but lesser information I feel like yeah, yeah, because we know because he, like, he has nine mothers, don't he? The nine mothers of Heimdall, which mm-hmm. some people have tried to tie that into the nine daughters of Aegir and Ron, 
but I've I, also heard some I've people heard tied it to the nine rounds still. Yeah. Yeah. I think they've also like I've heard like there's again there's so many theories about Heimdall, but it's interesting because we have an entire poem about Heimdall or like Rigsmall or Rigsmall, uh, which is interesting because a lot of people don't want to talk about that one because it's like the story of how Heimdall basically slept around with like three different family groups to create the three social classes of the right. like, or the middle class and the upper class. Um, so like people don't like talking about that one, but like it's an entire poem about Heimdall. But you know it's so hard to tie that like slept with three different families to create you know social classes and then blows the aller horn at the sign of ragnarok is right right like, it's it's a huge joke like here he is creating the, the classes and then here he is um, in ragnarok how do we get from there to here right and then there's like the whole like he's the bright god like he always mm. seems to be in the stories it's always like and heimdall was there but they don't ever talk about what he does he's just there Right. Like, as far as what we know, as far as what he does is, yeah, he just watches over the Bifrost, you know, to, and, and obviously sounds Yellowhorn for the coming up right Right. Now. Well, but like, yeah, one of my favorite point. things, yeah, yeah, one of my favorite things he does is uh, the Loki story, or not Loki, Thor story, where he has to go get his hammer, and like Thor's just done. He's like, and I was like, well, I have an idea. He's like, you're not gonna like it. Thor's like, oh, I love it. And then, like, you know, we're gonna put you in a bridesmaid and send you down there. And he's absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, it, it, he's kind of like that. That one. He's like the DJ Khaled of the gods. He's always there. He's always got a, some little appearance in something. You know, it's a very interesting concept. Like once he mentioned, I was like, yeah, you know what? He kind of is, and like he made an appearance. Like, yeah, like he's almost in like every poem, but like uh, yeah, yeah he, he's almost in every. Is he even in Loki song? I don't know. If, like, well, and he's uh, uh, him and Loki fight, don't they? I yeah, mean, they fight in Ragnarok. Ragnarok yeah. They kill each other. Yeah, they, they end up uh, killing each other. Ragnarok. I believe he is in Loki song. I think he gets called out at some point. Uh, I think he's at the. Isn't he one of the gate, like the gatekeeper, or is that somebody else? Um, I don't know. But I know, like, in Ragnarok, Loki and him sword fight. Like, they sword fight to the death while insulting each other. Yeah, I'm scrolling through Lokasana right now, and I'm pretty sure he is. Oh, no, he is not in it. You sure he's not at the very beginning? I thought he was the person that let him them him into uh, Let me take a look. Oh, and another thing about the ocean while we're talking about Lokasana is apparently Aegir throws kick-ass parties all the time. <laughs> yeah, apparently, yeah, because that goes back to Aegir and his hall under the sea. I guess. Yeah, it's like, yeah, you don't want to mess with him if you're a human, but he throws kick-ass parties for the gods. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's only because Thor went and got the brewery pot to bring to him to throw the party. He didn't really want to, but you know, when the god of thunder comes up and he's like, "Hey, I want you to throw this party," and you like, you know, he can smash your face in with mold there, you're gonna throw the party. Well. Here's another interesting factoid I found out today doing my uh, Prozetta research is the entire part of Prozetta, like Skarskoppel Mall, is a conversation between Braggy and Aegir. While it doesn't actually give us a lot of information between the two, it is interesting that Aegir is learning from Braggy how to write poetry. No, that yeah, is interesting. Because, you know, we, we tend to think of Aegir kind of like Ron, you know. Uh, Maybe uh, like 
maybe Aegir isn't as bad because like Ron definitely seems to be the bad one in the sense that she's like there to drag you down into the sea. And then maybe once you get down there, he's like, Hey, welcome to my kingdom, man. Like I got bruises over here. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah I, I don't know, but like, because I mean, when you die in the ocean, you technically go to Aegir's Hall. Like, right. you go to Aegir. yeah, anyone who dies in the ocean or waters was supposedly the ones who gets cast at the cult by Aegir's net. I think is the, the phrasing it uses. Yeah, a Ron's net. Ron's net. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Aegir's net, but Ron's net. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's actually no mention in Lokasana to. Yeah, I, I didn't know if he was in Lokasana or not, but I, I know in Ragnarok. Him and Loki fight, and that's oh, kill. Never mind. Loki. I take that back. I found it. Yeah, it's Loser. it's stands as forty-seven and forty-eight. Like I said, Minnesota, uh, you know, education system. Are you supposed to be like the? Uh, you have a team named the Vikings. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's why they do. That's why it passes down orally. They don't read much. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see here. Yeah, there's not. I mean, it's not too much. It's just. Uh, let's see. Yeah, basically Heimdall just says you're drunk, Loki, drunk to the point of foolishness. Why don't you control yourself? This kind of drunkness, drunkenness makes every man say more than he means to. And he basically says to Heimdall that he has a miserable fate assigned to him because all you have to do, all you do is stand all the time and just watch as a guardian of the gods. And I'm gonna like kill you one day, bro. Yeah, and yeah, then I'm gonna stab you. <laughs> Stabby stab. Um, so the other god, I think the only other god I have on my list. Oh, we have Kavasir and Forseti is what I have on my list right now. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, um, that's oh, go ahead. I was gonna say Forseti is an interesting role because like it kind of goes with tear in a way. Like Forseti is yeah. the is the son of Balder and uh Nana. Nana, Nana. Nana. Yeah. Um and again, Nana, we know basically nothing about. Um, mm -hmm. Now, I do. Uh, so, I was actually gifted recently um, a gift of um, Nordic tarot cards that all have to do with oh. like the Norse gods. And there's actually like an interesting because I have Nana as a card, um, and it mentions her like devoted love to uh, to Balder because she throws him herself on the funeral pyre and wants to be with him forever in the afterlife as well. So, I thought that was interesting. To, a little deep dive into it. Um, so that's really all we know is that she actually kills herself to be with Balder into the afterlife. And so then Forseti is the lawgiver. Like Yeah, it says uh, yeah. from what I've been able to find, it says Forseti is the god of justice and lawmaking. So I would so think, you know, because in Icelandic, you know, uh culture and you know, modern and in politics moving up into even the modern age, they have a law speaker. It's their like head law role. So it definitely seems Forseti feels that kind of thing. Right. I, I think. Like the way I would see it is, you have Tyr, who is all about just making sure justice is served, and Forseti's more probably like looking into the laws of the nature and making sure it's right or wrong, maybe morality-wise. So here's how I see. Here's how I see Tyr. Um, Tyr, we know so little about, even though he's a very prominent god. That is like it's interesting. We know so little about Tyr, and yet he's a very prominent deity that is often venerated in our modern times um and here's the interesting thing about tear to me is i see him as a compromiser i don't necessarily see him as a justice bringer like he is there to make sure thing you know both sides of an argument find peace uh, i i compare him more to like henry clay uh which is actually a kentucky politician who during the civil war was trying to seek um a way to like 
stop the war essentially he wasn't siding with either one and he wanted to stay the middle path um when he like and he like he owned slaves and yet he was trying to free his slaves and he was working with the south to not attack the north and he was happened he was like housing northern soldiers and then southern soldiers and like ended up in this bad situation but i see that with tear as well with fenrir is like you had two opposing sides you know a destructive force of fenrir that he understood to some extent and then he had the asgardian force like his people and so he was trying to be a compromiser between two things so again i don't see him as this justice thing i think that would be more towards forseti um as mm. far as like laws and i see tier as a compromiser and the you know the peacemaker i can see that. i like that that make that honestly makes a lot more sense and with a lot of the, the stories that we do have with here and just like the way that he is worshipped i guess i think is a little bit misconstrued well, and I know he's also got like the martial side of him, like the war yeah. side. But it, you know, I, again, I'm not in the military, but I, I would assume not everyone in the military is super gun ho. You know, there is like the diplomatic side of the military. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You I do, mean, yeah, yeah like me being in the military. He's the brass. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, I mean, me being <laughs> in the military, you know, I I don't really have anything. I have very few interactions with here, and I'm not a you know, your follower, especially with some of the. The other deities that I have chosen to work with instead, you know, being the complete opposing sides of him to a certain degree, but so there's actually two more things I want to talk about before we end this podcast. We we've covered a lot of the crazy amounts of lesser known deities, what little we know about them. There's still more we can't cover. There's still more we don't know about. Um, but there's two things I want to cover. One, I want to talk about how do we find out more about these deities? How do you explore venerating them if you are interested? And then I would also like to explore something I've forgotten already. So give me a moment while I think about that and I write this down. Um, it was on the, it was on the tip of my tongue. Well, one second. Um, I guess like to like look into them, find what you can online. Like if it's for for SETI, work with Tier first. Maybe if you can get a hold of them or like figure out lawmakings in your area what what laws you can improve in your county or state and maybe offer that as a way of trying to connect with Forseti or whatever you know it is because with, with like Magni and Modi if you're a son and you're you know you want to try to improve or, or take up the mantle of your father you just try to emulate your father better and try to walk similar to your father's shoes um so with forsetti you know i've always I, I joked a long time ago i was like to learn more about forsetti we're going to need to find a lawyer that also is a pagan and i have yet to find one <laughs> like i don't find the person with a lawyer mind is usually sitting around like i wonder if the trees have souls man <laughs> like, <laughs> don't i haven't found that one yet but if you're a lawyer out there and you're interested in the old ways we need you to talk to forsetti for us so we can figure out more about them <laughs> Well, it's like Vidar. I mean, we have, I know. Oh, yeah, we forgot to mention Vidar. Up, but like, Vidar is a silent being of vengeance. That's. Oh, that did he like. Oh, wait, he kills Fenrir. It's the, yeah, god, it's the god that kills Hod or Hothir that does not bathe until he does, until he avenges Balder. Yeah. It's the only thing we know that, about him. Yeah. Is that, is that also Vidar? No, it's not Vidar. That's the no, other, that's, that's the son that avo um, uh, avenges. Balder. Balder, yeah, yeah. Because I know Vidar, he's the one who avenges Odin as well. He's also Odin's son, but he kills Fenrir, and he's got a big shoe. Yeah, for some reason, yeah, he's got a big yeah. shoe. Yeah, his boot kills Fenrir. 
Yeah. He splits his jaw. I mean, like, off. I don't know how you would connect with like someone like Vidar. Wear good He's boots. Silent. Or I guess if you're, you know, Batman, you could probably connect with the vengeance thing. I think there's a two-sided road to the connection thing. It's like one, how are you going to connect with them without really knowing about them? And two, what are you actually hoping to get out of them? Like, how mm. are you going to know that you're actually making that connection? You know, like is Vidar just a vengeance god? Like, if you're really like, you know, if uh you have like a taken situation and you're Liam Neeson, you need to like go get your daughter, <laughs> like do you like really venerate you're like i need to give to vidar now like that's such a weird yeah. like how often in your life you're like i need to get vengeance i need to get to Vidar right now like i i, I don't know <laughs> right like i i definitely circumstantial it's kind of like lawmaking how many of us are making laws right some of these are just really obscure i feel like a good way you kind of touched on it or you were starting to touch on it a little bit there sure as far as like reaching out to some of these lesser known look at who they are similar to and start with that. So like with uh uh Forsetti. Wow. thank you. With the lawmaking and stuff like that. Like tier might be a good place to start as far as some sort of form of, of compromise and you know understanding certain things. So like laws are created with some sort of compromise to them, obviously, to a certain degree. So like that's a good stepping point. Uh with Thor's son. So start with Thor. Uh, you know, with Sith, even start with Thor. You know what I mean? It, it, there's, I feel like there's a, there's certain deities that you can kind of find their similarities or like a, they're almost like branch offs because most of them, I mean, are honestly the children of other deities. So I think starting with either A, the parents or finding another deity that is similar to them or has a different, covers a different aspect that is close enough to what they cover and start from there. And maybe you can, you know, find your way through the web of craziness that is some of these Norse deities. Yeah. Well, here's an idea for Vidar. I was like, okay, let's think about it in a modern context. You know, like I mentioned Liam Neeson, like picture Vidar as John Wick. Yeah, that's kind of what <laughs> I'm not even gonna lie, whatever I've read, like he's the god of vengeance, like John Wick after they killed his puppy. That's Vidar. I like it. I like it. <laughs> the I can Papa see Yiga. it. Cause, yeah, cause like, <laughs> I don't believe you, man. He doesn't say John Wick doesn't say much throughout the entire franchise. He's he doesn't have very many lives, but he's just going through there, just blasting, you know. And then I started blasting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but like, as far as connecting to him, you know, you just gotta find a doorway to try to get in the mindset of what these gods are because we don't have much written about them. So if you are a venerator of Uller or uh, Hod or Vidar or any of these things, your own journal will be the best information that any pagan could come across in the near future because we don't have stories with these gods in it. You know, uh, we're fortunate with Braggy because he's mentioned two or three times we're fortunate with uh sif but in magni and modi because they're mentioned in some of the stories or even at the end of ragnarok but some of these you just put the name in the hat and pull out and you can look at it and you're like okay well i don't know how to reach them 
Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I think you can look at it from the naturalist element too, because a lot of these deities are tied to nature in some way. So, like I was saying with Sip, I, you know, to me, as soon as I said like, oh, the the gentle rain after a storm and the beauty, like after storms are usually so beautiful mm-hmm. because the sky is orange or yellow and there's a light drizzle. Like now, I might say like, oh, that's a Sif moment. Like I'll be like, oh, thanks Sif for this beauty. You know, that's to me something that would connect her to a natural element. But again, gods like Vidar, I don't really see him connected to a natural element. So it's it, that is another hard thing to connect with. Right. Yeah, because that's more of an emotional concept with right. him. Which, I mean, again, you know, deities tied to emotion. I mean, Odin really isn't tied to natural things besides like ravens and like wind in some contexts. But, yeah. you know, for the most, you know, a lot of the, the primary deities are tied to very personal things. Oh, we got a guess. You ever figure out the second thing you wanted to talk about? I did. I wrote it down. Um, so the other thing I wanted to talk about is beings that you might not think we can connect with, like dwarves. Like, can you actually connect with dwarves? Can you connect with elves? Can you, like, is it like uh, Jotuns? I mean, Jotuns are on this weird middle ground where we can talk, and it seems like some Jotuns we can talk about and the some we can't talk to. Um, like Skadi, you know, it seems like a lot of people have, uh, you know, relationships with her. I've had experiences with her, but she's a Jotun. So does that mean I could connect with, you know, Thiazi? who is dead and well then there's a whole con- you know a thing where it's like can you connect with dead dead deities <laughs> which you know if you think that ragnarok's already ha- happened a lot of the deities are already dead can you connect with boulder is boulder already dead but wait then boulder went to hell can you just connect with boulder and hell you, you could connect with hell so can i connect with boulder and hell oh my god my brain's going to explode Morse mechanism so complicated <laughs> oh my god <laughs> uh you know i think you can um, we have someone in the community that works with dwarves and like I see him as a dwarf himself. What Keenan? Uh, yeah, Keenan. <laughs> Who they have their own uh, podcast, the uh, Grandma and the Dwarf. You should check. Yeah, out. the Grandma and the Dwarf podcast. Check them out; they're great. I love both of them. And so, you know, I, I think that we can connect to them. Uh, Ian has a very special relationship with elves. Uh, yes, definitely. You can work with elves, especially when they throw stuff at you. Uh-huh. <laughs> Good time. But no, like yeah, I, I. I I definitely think you can because they are honestly to some degree having spoken to a few individuals um you know that primarily work with the el- like elves dwarves land spirits you know more of the mid-guardian be well i mean the elves dwarves aren't really necessarily mid-guardian but like you have certain there's certain aspects of them that make them a little bit more relatable to our everyday day lives like dwarves craftsmen obviously very well-known craftsmen i mean even elves are craftsmen in their own right um you know obviously land spirits and things like that you have uh and like the fae you they are you know so nature-based and we are constantly surrounded by forms of nature that i to a degree yeah obviously i feel like you can because they almost feel like they're more present in every day-to-day life than i think we give them credit for yeah, so like uh, with me and the dwarves, I, I I think these are when you start dealing with larger concepts that are hard to pinpoint to one thing. Like, I don't know if necessarily connecting with the dwarves as an offering is something that, you know, that's not something that to me that connects. Because to me, the way I read the dwarves, they are as much like beings like Mimir. Like Mimir is such a deep concept deity where it's like he is someone that Odin goes to to communicate with. And he sits at one of the wells. He's like with the Norns. Like, I don't, I can't just like, 
talk to the Norns. Like that's, I feel like that's not something that I'm just like, hello, Norns, can you please make sure my fate is extra good today? Here's an offering of a crumpet, please. Like, no, I don't think that's, I, I, I personally don't see that as a connection. Um, and, you know, same thing with Mimir. And I, I kind of put the dwarves in that. I feel like the dwarves, again, to me, are the you know, like fabricators of the solar systems. Like when it comes to the creation and forming of stars and planets um, and things like that, I feel like the dwarves are part of that raw creation energy of our universe. Um, and I, I feel like, you know, if that's a concept I could connect to, I don't know. But I do think that's what I would tie the dwarves to. Yeah, go to space. <laughs> Right. There you go. <laughs> yeah, well, trust me, I don't want anything happening in our solar system. No more raw creation energy because that probably means we're going to blow up. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, that that yeah, that is a that is a good way of looking at it because some of them, yeah, they are a a larger concept or like a deeper concept that it would just be relatively difficult to kind of connect to on that. And again, what are the dwarves going to do for you? Yeah, I mean that goes to like the Jormungandr thing that I always, that I've said, yeah. like, what, what is he going to yeah, do for you? What, listen, that's a different, that's different. No, it's not. I guess, like, as far as the dwarves go, I could see where they could might inspire you to create something, or like, even with the elves, try to help you connect better with nature. Um, it just, depends on you and your you know where you're at spiritually but yeah like if you think about like blacksmithing i mean literally what you're doing with blacksmithing is you're taking raw natural space stuff and then you're folding it into itself you're melting it and weaving it and creating something out of it like i think if you're doing that like that's a great time to connect with the dwarves and every conversation i've had with someone that does have some kind of dwarf thing is a blacksmithing element right. tied to it yeah, I, yeah. I, I agree with that because you know Keenan, that's how he connects with them, and that that dude is dwarf. I mean, he's, he's <laughs> hairy dwarf too. Dude, that dude's <laughs> dwarf. Uh, but it, yeah, like with blacksmithing, especially because I mean the dwarves made all the gods' tools and weapons. You know, it's, they're the reason. Well, Loki and the dwarves are the reason why we have Molnir. Uh, Golden hair. Sif's golden, yeah, going back to Sif with the golden hair. You know, a lot of the tools and stuff the gods have wouldn't be, uh, they wouldn't have them if it wasn't for the dwarves. So, yeah, if you're a blacksmith and you're pounding away in your forge, uh, that I think you could connect better to the dwarves than anyone because there's no blacksmithing god in Norse Pantheon that I've come across. No. And again, that's another shocking one that I find hmm. is that you would think the, the Vikings would have a blacksmithing god but i think again that's where the dwarves come into play right so i was gonna bring up the jotuns um because it, it, again it's i feel it's a complicated question because we do have people that connect with particular jotuns um and obviously loki is a jotun right technically yes i mean yeah loki's a jotun yeah. hell hers hell is a jotun yeah you know, Dwarves, I technically i mean technically all of them are jotuns because they came from ymir so Mm. I think the the I think the interesting thing is I think as far as like yeah the deities that I would consider like the least Jotun would be the primarily the Vanir. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're their own tribe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because a lot of the Aesir, like you were just saying, sure, like came from 
Ymir. Like, yeah, because Odin came from Thor like, is so, legitimately a giant. He's the son of Odin and Mjord, which is Mother Earth, an Earth yeah. giantess. He's yeah, literally right. a giant, but he's the worst enemy of the giants. Well, and again, okay. like when I was doing my Thor's research, like I found that there was like a possibility that he like had a mistress who was a Jotun who he had a daughter yeah, with. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, what? You hate these guys? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I need I some like... consistency here, Thor. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like I said, like like Ian said, the Bonnie are probably the closest thing that's not a giant because the Aesir. They're all giants technically because they come from Ymir. Like everything goes back to Whoa, Ymir. Whoa, be careful where you're throwing around that word Jotun, okay? Like, don't be putting on that everybody. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, that's a good point, though. It's like a lot of people will primarily think of the Jotun as being, you know, bad. But then, yeah, when you actually really start to look at where some of these these gods and goddesses come from, like a lot of them are Jotun or at least half breed Jotun or to some degree. Uh, right. So, like, spoilers for Ragnarok Netflix I'm just going to throw this out here if you look uh, there's one scene where they're talking about the Jotuns in, in the high school there and like everybody's like oh they're just these bad guys they're ugly and troll and then the Jotun girl gets offended and they're like no we used to be gods we used to be worshipped by humans or they used to be worshipped by humans and stuff like that and then the other gods come along and changed it that can be applied today with how humans are with our societies. You know, the uh, Romans considered the Germanics barbarians because they couldn't speak Latin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and I think that differentiates them. Well, and while there is a, you know, a war, so to speak, between the Jotuns and the gods, they have a lot of freaking interactions with one another, like the tale of Agar Loki or, you know, like, uh, I mean, some down, you know, some downright pleasant ones at times, it seems like, where there's not really a conflict. It seems like they have border friction almost. Um, And so before Loki showed up, Aegir and Rand, the hall, they're having a party. I mean. Well, and I think it's that misconception of like, uh, I don't know when it started shifting or what cultural things started shifting the ideas of the giants being the Jotuns being giants, because they're really not like the Jotuns are really just a different group of deities. Yeah. Um, and Jotun doesn't actually mean giant, if I'm not mistaken, it means something like devourer or something like that. I think, yeah, I think it's something like that. It does seem to be a distinction because there does seem to be, and again, I don't know if this was something that was changed orally, if it was changed when it was written down, or if it was just been changed in translation, but the idea of Jotuns being giant, because there are giants within Norse mythology, it just seems like not all Jotuns are actually also giants. Yeah, well, it's the definition that I pulled up on Google, which it says in Scandinavian mythology, a member of the race of giants, enemies of the gods. So there's probably several different races of giants, but that particular ones that we're concerned with are yoke. Well, yeah, because you have like a cert, which is a fire giant, but right. I don't think you it's a yoke. Earth, yeah, and then the one uh, who stole Thor's hammer, Thrym, he's an earth giant. Mm. Yeah, and then there's uh, Trugnir, who was a giant, I believe, or yeah i think he was a stone giant that showed up to yeah. asgard to challenge odin right but again he challenged odin in like a horse racing competition so you telling me that odin's racing on slate near like this big and then like you know <laughs> he's racing on this massive horse like no i don't know i don't know gosh right. norse mythology is so confusing right. <laughs> like, um, 
what type of giant was it that built the walls of Asgard? Oh, I forget his name, wasn't it? Like, oh, I don't know. His name is, yeah, I always forget his name, but I think he was a... Um, I think he was just a Jotun, wasn't he? Yeah, I think he was just, because, I I mean, he was just a Jotun. I think the Jotuns, the only thing that makes them special or whatever is they come from Jotunheim, which is their, the realm of the giants. Right. Like, I think that's really the only description difference, differentiated. Yeah, regardless, Norse mythology is confusing. But I think this is a really good uh, stopping point. We've had a pretty good long episode here on this topic. Uh, but I do want to add, you know, when it comes to the end of the lesser known deities and all these things, is once again, this is when we dive into the part of Norse paganism that causes a lot of controversy and a lot of arguments and infighting is people really don't know what to do with this. Like, it seems like certain groups, um, you know, particularly usually also true groups, tend to only stick to the things they feel comfortable with, where it's just like, <laughs> we're just going to talk about the Aesir gods, because we know a decent amount about that. And we're just going to kind of like encroach our territory around that topic and not really talk about these other things, but there is so much to Norse mythos and Norse paganism and Northern history that we don't know about, that we're still trying to figure out, and we may never know the answer to. Um, so that's why, you know, the folk podcast exists. It's why the Wisdom of Odin exists. Um, I mean, honestly, I feel like it's why our community exists is because, you know, we don't mind having these conversations. We're not scared to talk about things like Jotun. We're, you know, we want to talk about dwarf veneration, things that, you know, may have never even been a conversation during certain, you know, in certain tribes in pre-Christian Scandinavian times. But you know what? This is a modern religion. This is a, re you know, evolving religion. So I think it's really cool that we have these conversations. And I want people to write these books down. I want someone to spend their life devoted to the dwarves and to Uller and to Sif and to Forseti so we can learn more about them because that's the only way we're going to continue to learn to learn and grow with this faith. Um, but gentlemen, I want to thank you for this conversation. It was a good conversation today. Yeah. Yes, yes, oh, yes, yes. I, I think somebody who devotes their life to uh, old uh, Vinar is going to be a very silent individual. Silent for an Baba Yaga. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well shoot now i gotta go watch john wick um all right boys well let's go ahead and end this conversation so thank you all so much for watching and tuning in i hope you enjoyed this conversation um so please <laughs> sure i hate you at this point i don't even want to say it <laughs> look if you want to be on the folk podcast whatever it's the folk podcast at gmail.com all lowercase uh to send us an old tippy typey email say hey what's up uh this is what i want to talk about this is my name you should totally have me on the podcast it'd be a really good time and then uh like you know i don't know like send us a picture of a cat or something i don't know I'm sure it's just deflated me at this point so whatever we're ending this episode it's the whole podcast um, until it all is gone oh. <laughs> <laughs>